Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Hello and welcome to another episode of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. We are, are you, you recovered, right? You're, you've already been back in a race car and stuff. You, did you sleep much over 24? I don't even know how much you slept. Um, am I recovered? Yes. Uh, it wasn't, (laughs) as we'll talk about, that demanding. Um, (laughs) I, I didn't sleep much. I don't know how I kind of. I feel like I got a little bit shortchanged on the sleep cycle program because I only had like two and a half hours. And I went I, to bed. I had three. Okay. Exactly three. Okay. Um so. but but you're but I thought you're I thought we worked out that your hours were actually pretty solid. Like you were done by midnight and then not back in the car until like seven AM or eight AM or something. No, yeah. He was just did like uh, four no, hours so, in the Ferris wheel. I was no, so I was done around midnight. Um, it was like eleven forty, and then I was ending before the sun came up, or right as the sun came up, which is around. Oh 7:15. yeah, you were like six. Yeah, I was like six. Yeah, that makes sense. It'd be like six so to eight almost. It was like four thirty to seven type of thing. Um, right. And so by the time I got out of the car, I had a shower, I had a massage, I grabbed a quick bite. By the time you have to be back in the car before like the next final stint, which in GT cars is an hour, right? It was like I had to be there by three thirty. Anyways, anyways, so you no use one our physio guy, so it's okay. I did use our physio guy. Yes, was he did good? I didn't. No, I I don't, I just wanted to go to bed after my stint. I was so hungry, and then I wanted to just get some sleep. But I was like, I'll just whatever. Should have yeah. used him after the second stint, though. I did not use him after the second stint um, because we were done. Well, let's let's go let's go all the way let's go all the way back. So I'm glad that last week we had Marvin and Oliver on, so that you guys could kind of get a little bit of a sense of those two. So like again, it was even though we were trying to just chat to our friends, it was a little interviewee, obviously. And so take like what you heard on the show last week on the Tuesday show. And then just like multiply the like personality by like 50%, you know, like they're, they were a little bit in, in interview mode, which is totally understandable. Both great guys. Oliver, you know, comes from a big, well, he comes from an open wheel background. Like him and I raced A1GP together back in the day. And then he's been a sports car race forever. Marvin, same kind of thing. He got away to GP2 and then switched over to sports car. He's been a factory sports car driver for a long time. They're such funny guys. Like Oliver is a sort of like, fly by the seat of his pants, doesn't check his schedule until he arrives at the racetrack. Like Alex and I were like, 
we were a little late getting the schedule before we got there. And we're like, babe, we don't know what the day's going to be like tomorrow, whatever, whatever. And Oliver's like, oh yeah, no, I don't care. I don't even check it until I get there. So he's like that. And then Marvin's like, you know, German efficiency, like everything has to be planned and is like OCD, like clean and neat and organized in the bus or whatever. So like kind of two opposites, but both really good guys. So we got, we got through the roar and then it was race week and like race week, we fracked it. We were told we weren't really going to practice at all, but we got a little bit of practice in, right? Yeah. Like, I think we got the, the necessary amount of practice for us to be at like our minimal level of comfort, right? Like, yes. Like I minimal, think you and yeah. I both, Just- <laughs> you and I both could have used another several sessions, but I think where we were <clears throat> going into the race on Saturday versus where we were coming out of the roar, I was in a much better place as to what was going on and, and everything. Same. But what's funny about that is if you really break it down, I think we each had an extra 15 laps. Like the difference between the end of the roar and the end of practice heading into the race was only like 15 laps each. But like though though those laps were so valuable. Yes. Yes. Correct. <laughs> I mean, they, they were valuable in, in the sense that we were more comfortable. They were not valuable in at all contributing to our success. So no fair. So, but so, so at our defense, one of the big challenges was that we were having some data issues on the team all weekend and well, until the race, the race, it was fine. But so like our last session before the race, you and I both got like a decent amount of laps in. And they kind of like gave us those laps, let us run. Cause we still had some, you know, we still had some pace to find. We still had some driving technique to nail down because these things are so different. And like, I kind of finally felt like I'd made a step. You felt like you'd made a step like, all right, let's just look at the data and see how far off of like Marvin we are. And there was no data. So we go into the race, like completely flying. I'm like, I don't know if what I did in that session was better or not. I mean, the lap time was better, but like, am I, am I driving it the right way? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and to carry on with that, you know, we, I think our pace in the race was acceptable. We, you know, we had a little bit of a, a weird dynamic and we'll get into it, but you know, we went several laps down pretty early on in the race and, you know, there's not a whole lot of point of risking the car and equipment and a lot of other things by just doing qualifying laps for no reason because you're never going to get 20 to then 40 to then 50 laps back. Um, so we all kind of drove t- around at a similar comfortable, but not slow pace. Um, it, it, and it would be interesting to know, like if we were given the green light to do everything we could, like how fast could we have gone? Um, but the, the concerning thing about it is, you know, after the race, when we were talking to Marvin, who, you know, is the, is the head honcho and, and the benchmark, he was like, Oh yeah, no, everything that I was telling you to do during the roar and practice, like I wasn't oh, really doing it in the dude. race. Cause like it wasn't, it wasn't better. And I, James and I looked at each other and we were like, you know what? You can go jump off a cliff respectfully. Yeah. I, because, I, because all you have been telling us to do for 10 days is X and now you're like, nah, I just did Y because X sucks. <laughs> like, I, I, I want to explain the day, like what he told us to do and then what ended up happening because it's so outrageous. So with these cars, they have ABS, right? We talked about this a little bit last week. And so you go into the corner, you just break as late as physically possible. And like you stop the car because they, 
they don't have downforce. The tires aren't that big. They can't have a lot of rolling speed. So you just fly in there and just hammer the brakes and hold that pressure. In an open wheel car, you hit the brakes really hard initially, but then you're immediately bleeding off because there's no anti-lock brakes. You got a threshold brake, right? These things, you just leave this force maximum in. So Alex and I are like, yeah, I think we're braking pretty late. And then we see the data. We're like, no, not even close. Like we're not even doing it close to what you have to do. Our mid corners are too high. Our exits are crap, but our entries are too early. So in the other race, we both sick. Yeah, <laughs> now we were killing it. <laughs> so then we get into the race and we're like, we're talking afterwards. We're like, yeah. And, and here's the thing. Like all the lap time was on the entry, right? The mid corner and exit sort of balanced out, but all the lap time was on the entry. So it was clear to us that regardless of what you need to do, take care of tires, safe fuel, whatever, you need to break as late as physically possible and really maximize the entries and then figure the rest out, right? So in race running, you're trying to take care of your tires and make sure they last a full stint. So you're probably not cornering with quite as much speed minimum. You're not as aggressive on the throttle to not spin the tires. But if you brake early, you're just giving away free lap time because the tires can't lock because they've got ABS. So Alex and I are like, oh yeah, man, I was like breaking so late and my left leg's cramping up. Like my left leg's so sore because I was braking so hard, blah, blah, blah. And Marvin's like, well, why? And we're like, what do you mean? <laughs> but why? You're the guy who told us why. <laughs> you said like that you, you showed us why. it's the only way to get lap time. Yeah, you are why. And yeah, he's like, oh no, in the race, I wasn't, I wasn't doing that. I'm like, I just, I physically still don't believe. I, I, I need to see the data because I do not believe him. Or we were just finally breaking at a good level and he could actually still break like 50 feet later if he wanted to. <laughs> There's no way. There's no, There's no. no way. No. Because I got really good at just leaving my foot buried against the firewall. Just yeah, to the point where you were like... a bigger break battle. For, for Sebring, you're like, I am specifically going to do like leg curls on my left leg. Like you're going to do the most lopsided leg workouts ever ahead of The most March. asymmetric, <laughs> like... Yeah. My left calf is going to be the size of a cured ham, you know, right, Again, and it's, right. it's, it's wild. And yeah, Marvin's like, oh yeah, no, I didn't really. So we're going to debunk that because I just did don't believe that. Did he have an explanation of why he did it differently? Nope. Nope. Just didn't feel like it? Yeah. Well, he was like, I well, I, I wasn't, I, you know, I was trying to save the tires, so I just didn't do that. I'm like, that's not how you do that, which I can't say as a guy that had never driven a GT car before that weekend and he's a factory GT driver. But I'm pretty sure he was, I think he was with us i don't i don't know that marvin i i got to know marvin quite a lot he came down with me to homestead i don't know that he i don't know that that's his sense of humor i don't think that he no i i think it's real and i just think that i don't know man germans honestly, have a good dry sense of on, humor yeah that's true honestly um not my problem so good luck yeah with you're that, now Jane. done that's the, yeah yeah <laughs> thanks buddy <laughs> <laughs> that is the last time you'll have to drive that thing for at least 340 days. Um, so, okay. Other than, other than some issues with braking, I mean, you guys, you guys were saying you were doing fairly well, felt like you were keeping listen, up on, on listen, pace, but listen, you had some mechanical issues, right? Let me, let me, I am hard to please as I think everyone knows. Yes. We're no. very aware. <laughs> and while there were several instances throughout the weekend that I was unimpressed slash frustrated slash annoyed what the team did by the time that really 10 days elapsed was they gave the four of us who are four completely foreign drivers to them 
an opportunity to go win the 24 hours of Daytona. Yeah, we, we were leading and, the race on pace. And that is, that is legitimately, you know, you talk about the 500 and you talk about how many, you know, chances are you going to get at it? All we ask for is a, is a shot. Like all you ask for is a car that is competitive enough that if the stars align, you know, you could be that person. It sucks going into a race knowing that you don't have the competitiveness, you don't have the team, you don't have all these things. And and then it's really like, well, why are we doing it? At least now, you know, despite all of the issues that we had during the race, which were out of pretty much everyone's control that, w- that we'll get into, we we were afforded the opportunity that if those things didn't happen, we could actually maybe compete. And that was pretty awesome. Amen. Well said. Um, cause the team would do a, a remarkable job. And here's one of the things that I was super, super impressed with. So the car showed up late or sorry, the team got the car late, just nature of the way the deal came together. They had basically three weeks to prep the car when it's so, sort of like the 500, like these teams start in October to get the car ready for January for the, for the 24. These guys got it mid December. They basically three weeks to throw it together and go over everything. So we get there. There's still a lot going on. Like we're definitely behind the eight ball. We're having to do more than other teams because we're still kind of catching up, whatever. And so the drivers were all, you know, very aware of the situation. And so trying to just be supportive and trying to not add to the workload. But like after a certain point, we're like, hey, guys, there's a couple things that I think we need to be able to do our job well. And we sat at dinner one night and put together a list in between the roar and the race with the four of us. And just like, I opened my notes app on my phone and we just put together a list. And so the next day I went into the track and talked to Steve, the the team manager there. And I kind of felt bad. I was like, Hey man, I know you guys are super flat out with a million things, but we just together, we went through this list. Here's the priority of them. Whatever we can get to is, is awesome. Any, any of this would help. And they pretty much got all of it done. And like, this is while in the midst of a million other things that they were doing just to make sure the car ran and that we made it to the grid on time and whatever. And so I had so much respect and, and give so much credit to all them for getting all that stuff done. Um, but yes, Tim, to your point, we had some mechanical issues while we were running well. Uh, the first one put us in the garage for a little bit. We lost about 20 laps. Then we had another problem that put us in the garage for about another 20 laps. And then finally, I'm thinking like hour 19 or 20, we, we had a terminal failure. I guess we'll call it that. But I will, I, I'm happy that we improved our driving, Alex, much better than Bathurst, I would say, in terms of how we were able to get yeah. on the pace. Yes. You feel less? Because, dude, legitimately, before you agreed to do this, you and I were talking and you were like, I don't know, man. I'm still, I got PTSD from Bathurst. Like, I don't want to go into a car that I've never driven before, a style of car I don't know, and be garbage. And hey, look, man, it worked out. I mean, yeah, it did. I, yeah, I, it did. I would have been really interesting because I think that, you know, there's a lot of games that get played, right? In sports car racing, we've talked about it a lot. Like, I, I do not know if we would have been able to compete with the Ferrari or the BMW before the BMW had its kind of problem in the final pit stop. But like, I, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be interesting to know. Right. Cause it's like the team, the team was like, could you do that lap time? And it's like, yeah, for sure. But like the deg that we would have, I think would have been far more than the deg that they had. Would that have mattered with yellows and, and how, you know, sports car racing works? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but it, it was, 
it, it's kind of a it's it's left some questions in my mind of like yeah we weren't embarrassing but like how good could we have been and it's you never get a but chance to really show that in practice right because you never are on new tires with low fuel like you just you don't know so it's kind of you're walking away from there like i think i did all right but right but we walked away from bathurst being like we definitely sucked so the, the fact that it's even a question, I feel like we're we're That's good point. here. <laughs> it's a step Thanks, in the Jamie. right direction. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So wait, does this mean you'll do bathers with me again one year? No. Okay. That's All right, fine. Shot. I'll do it with you. So one of the big struggles that we had. So the the I'm just not even gonna acknowledge it. The uh the driver changes were interesting because see, I don't think they were a struggle because I'm gonna be honest, James. We didn't really improve much. All you guys did was claim that you shaved 12 seconds off by just closing the door sooner. But that doesn't mean that the person that was in the car was ready to go. So I don't really know. And especially right, considering the, the beginning, because this seems especially like a continuation. The first driver change that you did with me, you didn't even plug my radio all the way in. And then I okay. spent 10 laps trying to figure out how to get to the backup radio as the switch was dangling on the other side of the car. And then, and then once I finally found the switch, realized that that didn't solve the problem. And so then I just plugged it in and it was like, Oh, thanks James. Okay. So he literally, I started on a topic and he jumped ahead to like three separate conversations that I wanted to have. So we started driver change practice and the McLaren is a difficult car to get in and out of. The doors open funny and the seat is pretty far forward. The steering wheel doesn't move out of the way too much. Whatever. We're having trouble getting in and out of this car. Our first driver change practice, I want to say it was like 46 seconds. And we're like, how quick do we need to be doing this? And they were like, eh, between 15 and 20 would be ideal. And we're like, that's not, that's not going to happen. Zero percent chance it's happening. No chance. So we slowly started working to improve from like 46 seconds down to something more reasonable. Uh, that involved a lot of bruises on legs and stuff. Alex, I and butt cheeks. <laughs> and butt, butt cheeks, butt cheeks and kneecaps. And I kneecaps. thought for a period of time that I actually fractured a kneecap. I've still got a good one on my leg too. I'm not even sure what I hit. Um, but so we were, we were out to dinner one night and, um, the ladies of the gradient racing entry, uh, were also at dinner and as they were leaving, stop by. So Catherine Legg, Sheena Monk, Tatiana Calderon, and kind of asking us, you know, how it was going. I mean, we all know Kat, Oliver and Kat used to live together and, you know, her from Europe, I know her from IndyCar and, uh, you know, Tatiana, obviously for the same reason. And so we were kind of just comparing notes a little bit. We're like, yeah, we've been struggling on the driver changes a little bit. And we were quickly finding out we were like a solid 20 seconds too slow on our driver changes. So we had to revamp them a little bit. Fine. So we revamped the strategy while, while Alex is down in homestead testing. And yes, the strategy was putting more in the driver's hand and less in the driver getting out's hand who's, who helps, right? Basically the helper. Um, but in the race... As Alex alluded to, he likes to blame me for this. However, I have a defense. So the driver that's getting out 
has to plug the driver that's getting in's radio in, right? So I got it in at least enough for you to hear the calls from pit. Like it was in that you could hear it. And then on track, you must have been over a curb too hard or maybe driving erratically. I don't know. And it wiggled itself loose. Yeah, because that's how radio connectors work. <laughs> it was in when you left. You could hear the pit lane when you left. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying. And then, and then Alex, yes, went through a troubleshooting uh, program Extra that didn't end very well. <laughs> Well, the best part so, is, so we, hold on. So there's two radios in the car, right? In case there's a failure. And we've been driving around all, all the roar, all the week of practice. And at some point we are like, hey, we just realized no one's explained to us how to switch the radios in case that happens. We need to go through that procedure. So before the race, we, one of the engineers comes and explains the whole procedure. And, and Alex is like, yeah, but whatever. Like, that's always just a super fail safe. Like, <laughs> that never really happens. <laughs> and Jarvis was like, I don't know, man. Sometimes it happens. So he's driving around for a few laps. The radio does work. And then the radio stops working. He's like, oh, f Oliver was right. This, this just happened. So, yeah, that yeah. explains what happened. <laughs> so I was like, ah, oh, this will be fine because I know how to switch it. So I reached down. And it's a little like toggle to switch it from A and B. And as you're driving, it was dark, keep in mind. And as you're driving a race car, I, I don't know, like you, you're, you're focused you're on finesse. other things. Yeah, your finesse maybe isn't. I, long story short, I went to hit the toggle and the entire button broke off where it was mounted to. <laughs> and so then it was dark, but I thought that I saw it out of the corner of my eye, like on a, on a wire, like on a rope, right? So then I spent four laps, like reaching to the other side of the cockpit and trying to find loose wires, right? Generally what you want to be doing. Yeah. To try and pull it closer to me to try and get it back in my hand. Well, I finally accomplished that um, and switched the radio and thought I was a real, real genius. Um, and it still didn't work. So then <laughs> I went through the process of changing the channel Again, because that was something that last minute they kind of gave us the heads up on how to do. And it still didn't work. So then I thought I did that wrong, but then I didn't want to really play with it very much. So my last ditch effort, well, no. So then beyond that was Oliver had a, if you're, if you have a radio failure and you see this fuel number on the dash coming out of turn six, you have to pit. But it was like on a sticky note that was on the inside of the windshield. There was a really hard angle. So I finally got it. But the problem was the number that the team <laughs> gave the Oliver was not a number that was displayed on the dash because one was in liters and the other one was in kilos of fuel. So I was then a little concerned as to what my next steps were. But then I fortunately thought of just trying to plug back the radio connection in harder and then it worked sir did you try was, unplugging it and plugging one? it back in <laughs> no it wasn't step one. it would have been step one tim but we spent so much time talking about radio failures <laughs> and how it could happen i was like boom got it a to b broke the switch and then the whole spiral started it would have been the first step except the radio worked when he first got in so right if it hadn't worked from pit lane that might have been the first thought but yeah it yeah. was so funny at Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, 
we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. One other thing about, like, the whole driver change process, which I find... I don't know why this surprises me, but it surprises me. Um, you and I used the same seat insert. So yeah. just because I'm 6'2 and not 155 pounds and you are 5'4 and 157 pounds right. doesn't mean that we can't use the same insert. So yes, if you went off our hero card statistics, which is a, an entirely separate issue, it had Alex at uh, 151 pounds, was it? 55 and you were 155 pounds, and I was 157 pounds. Um, Alex hasn't been 155 pounds since 2003. And nope. I... <laughs> actually. Whatever. And uh, it had me as 5'5", five five, which, look, I get I'm not the tallest guy in this podcast group, uh, but that's, I mean, that's just a fed. Anybody that's ever met me would know that that's... In so the, how did that happen? Who were you throwing clearly out found it. Whoever designed the hero card, because they claim that they found it on the internet, but in person, Alex and I went on like our Wikipedia pages and were like, there's no data on our height or weight. Like you guys just made these numbers up. I don't know where you could have found that online. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but yes, so Alex and I used the same seat insert, which I think is only possible because this car's got adjustable pedals from the cockpit, which is one of the coolest features I've seen in a race car that makes the driver change situation and seat insert situation is so much less complicated. Um, we had a fan question come in on Twitter, which I thought was one where, I don't know, just it was an interesting thought for people that are like kind of new to this form of racing, certainly. So the question was, a uh, curious question from someone that's as far away from a driver and athlete as possible. Tim, you don't have to write into the show. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> endurance racing. When you get out of the car, are you just exhausted mentally and physically and ready to go to sleep? Or is there still adrenaline pumping? Alex, how do you feel when you get out of the car? Um, it, I've had different experiences. So previously in, in a prototype, um, the demand physically is quite a bit higher. Um, and the other thing is for the, all but one of the prototype races that I've competed in, um, there was no... 
there was no problems and there was no being lapsed down. So the adrenaline that you get from being in the competition phase of a race, right. And, you know, every lap is critical, every pit stop and in and out lap and restart, like you're, you're fighting, right. You're, you're trying to win the race versus a GT car, which is slightly less physical and knowing that your chances of winning are gone. The adrenaline kind of drops down pretty significantly. Because, yeah, you still have the adrenaline because you're driving a race car and you want to do a good job, but you don't have that competition element that exists. Um, so for me, this was a pretty easy one to like get out of the car and switch off and go to bed because like I wasn't staring at timing screens to know, like, are we still in the lead or are we closing in on the leader or whatever? It was like, I mean, you, you, that ship had sailed. So this one was a pretty relaxed Daytona for me. Um, what about you, James? Well, yeah, I think I think that's all accurate. I think the other thing that is uh, is a contributing factor is that while certainly nowhere near as physical as a prototype or certainly an open wheel car, um, it can get hot. We can get hot in a GT car, and a lot of GT cars have you know AC systems to keep drivers cool, or they run a cool suit system, or they have a helmet fan. Some of them have all of these things air-conditioned seats, like a fan that blows into the back of the seat and kind of cools you from that side. We didn't have time to put most of the stuff in. The team was able to get a, a small fan installed before the race, but that was it. We had no cooling, like proper cooling. And the first end of the race happened, you know, the race started at 145 or whatever, like peak heat of the day, uh, much warmer weekend for race weekend than it was on the test weekend. And Jarvis started and... He did his like two stints, his almost two hours in the car, and he was absolutely wrecked when he got out just because of the heat. You know, he's had a lot of sports car driving. He's used to these, you know, cars. He's used to this style of racing. Because we didn't have all those sort of accoutrements for keeping you cool, he was absolutely destroyed when he got out of the car for like, you know, an hour or whatever until he could rest and, and rehydrate or whatever. So for us, both of our, you know, all we both ran four to four and a half hours kind of thing. And pretty much all of it was in the darkness, right? Like I wasn't in until the sun had gone down. You were in after me. Then I did my second stint in the middle of the night. And then you were, as you were saying, race until just as the sun was coming, coming up. So he definitely took the hardest stint from like a physicality standpoint and a heat standpoint. And then, yeah, when that stuff starts stacking up, then mentally it gets a lot harder because your body's just struggling to keep up. And so then your mind starts slowing down. But no, for the most part, like you said, the uh, the adrenaline part is certainly definitely part of being in the competition. And like, as you say, not sitting in your bed trying to like look at timing and scoring or if you hear the car stop running, you're like, it's a caution. Was that us? And you're back on your phone. Like you can just kind of focus on getting that two and a half. Or, but so, so in that scenario, you got two and a half hours of sleep. I got three hours of sleep. That was a four driver lineup that by that point wasn't really in contention for the win. So you can imagine any of the three driver, driver lineups, those guys basically aren't getting any sleep. And if no, you're in I, the race, you're I getting even less. When I did it with Penske, it was crazy how much easier the following years were at Wayne Taylor with four drivers. I was like, why haven't, why doesn't everyone do this? I don't understand why people do three. Like Action Express, I think, is one of the few cars that really does three still. And it just, it's... It's brutal. Like I understand an LMP2, right? Because, you know, you've got 
you have to run a, a let's call it a non-professional driver. Am, um, yeah. So you want to, yeah, you want to get them, you know, do their minimum time. And then you've got three guys that got a hammer to, you know, make up for whatever happened in the beginning. But you know that going in. I just don't know why a prototype or a GTD pro car with all pros would ever choose to not run four. Like it is so much easier. And even even Oliver made that comment because he's primarily done it with three. And he was like, man, the schedule is just so much nicer. Everybody's so much fresher. Uh, you're just so much more relaxed and it lets you perform so much better. So I'm with you. I, I, I've only done it with four and it, uh, I say that that might not actually be true, but if that's not true, then the years that I did it with three, we didn't make it to the end. <laughs> and so I, it wasn't as hard. Uh, but is that the rule in Lamar though, where Lamar you have to have, you can only have three, like you can't have four in the pro classes, only in the pro-am classes? I don't know enough about Lamar. I know that when I did Lamar, it was three of us and that was LMP2. So that was pro-am. So yeah, I don't know. Oh yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I think, I think for the, at least the top class, you could only have three. So, so I want to know, Tim, how much of, you know, this event did you watch and absorb via? Um, well, once I television? saw you guys weren't really in contention, I cared a lot less, mm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did watch a good amount. So I had it on on Peacock for the entirety of the race, just on in the background. Nice. Whether I was home Thank or not, you. Teddy watched some of it. Um, Thanks, Teddy. And then... I went to a uh, I went to a school auction for for Hazel's school, and accidentally bought a box with uh, with a nice comfortable blanket and a candle in it. Somebody had uh, submitted a be calm box, and nobody was bidding on it. So the mom who like donated it was like, "Can you do the minimum bid so people start?" And no one else followed up my minimum bid. So I uh, I watched from about 10 p.m. till about three in the morning in a very comfortable pink blanket with my candle going. Uh, and <laughs> really enjoyed it. So, uh, it, you know what? The I, box was worth it. I was going to say, I, I get it. Maybe it wasn't something you were going to bid on, but are you mad that you I'm won at happy. this point? I, there's a lot of new age <laughs> self-help books that probably aren't going to get read. So, uh, but other than that, when you were in your pink blanket with your, uh, candle, were you wearing a onesie by chance? No, I, I was not on the onesie side of that argument. Remember, I was on the pajama side of that argument. Sure. That said, I was very much in my pajama robe and pajama pants. I was going to say, were you in a robe? I bet you were in a robe. I almost got in it for this, but we're recording at like 345. So I thought that'd be a little weird. Um, Doesn't sound like based on your, you live you in You wear pajamas. it outside the house. So You wear it outside the house. <laughs> you go grocery shopping in your pajamas. No, you take your kid to no, school I, in your pajamas. Now you're exaggerating. I don't go grocery shopping in pajamas. I have uh, had the pajama pants on when I've driven Hazel to school. But I don't get out of the car. So who, who yeah, what's cares? the rule on that? If you're not getting out of the car, would you be in pajamas? I mean, I know you don't have pajamas. That's the problem. I don't have pajamas to even make this this argument. Except that one pair of pajamas I got them for Christmas one year. You still and have those? Or you get rid of them? Sure do. Sure also do have those. Eco uh, bamboo. Okay. A lot of news broke today. 
which is somewhat convenient because we almost recorded this on Tuesday and we would have missed it all. I'm going to be I'm going to be honest. I've been in an airplane for the majority of the day and don't know much news other than the the Formula One news. What else? Yes, are we that's what I was. That's what oh, I'm talking yeah. about. OK. And and uh, I mean, we, we should mention our friend Joey Molinaro stepping away from Speed Street, but it looks like Speed Street's going to stay on. Did we shut down another um, racing related podcast, boys? <laughs> yeah, Thanks. you went on oh. it and Joey said F- this. You're welcome. Yeah, good call. That, you were the last the guest. of us. <laughs> Wait, was Joey even on it when you were there? Because I saw the clip and there was no Joey. No, he logged in and then was like, I'm just going to listen without my camera. I was like, cool, that's better for me. Um, fewer people no every obviously everybody's very concerned about uh hazel made it to the 21st round of the spelling bee she didn't win the 21st round dude it went on for a while it was the word yeah that was my next question what centrifuge c-e-n-t-r-i-f-u-g-e centrifuge she's in fourth grade you still i'm still smarter so uh yes jeff foxworthy i am smarter than a fourth grader uh, well, good for her. That's awesome. I'm glad that, um, you know, she got her brains from that, someone else. Other than that, no news. We should just wrap up early. Uh, not true. So, yes. Well, hang on. First of all, Alex, you were testing. Like, we we kind of skipped over the fact that post-24 in your two and a half hours of sleep hangover, you had to then fly back to Homestead for hybrid testing. I How'd have spent a, uh, an aggressive amount of time at Homestead, um, and I realized that- Nobody should do that. I have- I have only, so whenever, so I've spent an aggressive amount of time at Homestead and also Titosville, Florida, which is where Kennedy, uh, the Kennedy Space Center is. I'm talking about over the past oh, eight yeah. years. And those are both places that I really don't like going, um, but they're a necessity for IndyCar development and testing. And the point that I'm getting at is I realized that every time I've been straight line testing or now every time I've been at Homestead, I have exclusively eaten a Cracker Barrel to the point where I, last time I went, got a Cracker Barrel, like, uh, like ambassadors, like frequent flyer card. Cause I was like, yeah, I should probably, I've literally had everything on the Cracker Barrel menu. I still have all three of our Cracker Barrel free meal things. So I need to get yeah. those to you guys. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, you do. <clears throat> IndyCar hybrid testing. No, 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 no back the truck up you're telling me that the only place you eat at in homestead or when you're straight line testing at kennedy yeah is cracker barrel that is the only place i've ever eaten so it's probably been at least you know 15 to 20 meals what every night so you you spent four nights in homestead over the last two weeks you had dinner at cracker barrel all four of those nights yeah did you have breakfast at cracker barrel ever no, I don't eat breakfast. Okay. Well, I take um, that back. I ordered breakfast for dinner once. Oh, they do all day breakfast at Cracker Barrel? I like they it do, even better and now. And all day lunch and all day dinner. So, oddly, it's just an all day menu. Just a menu. That's okay. Yeah. Um, interesting. I would have thought there was at least one other option in Homestead. I'm not going to lie. I've never been to Kennedy Space Center. I was never allowed to do straight line testing because I'm a foreigner. So, I wasn't allowed on government. I'm going to be honest, dude. I'm going to be honest, dude. There isn't unless like there was one really? place that the team went called like the the fish hut or something. I was like, I'm out. Like, I'm good. I'm not. I still I'm, not, I'm I sure kinda, it's great. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's probably very fresh fish and delicious. I'm just I'm good with my cracker barrel. It's fine. 
So. I think it's hilarious that you're not allowed there, James. Yeah, it's anyway. It's fine. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about homestead hybrid testing because there's some news that I think people are going to be very interested to hear. It went really, really well. Um, I don't know how today went. Today was the f- the final day of this block of hybrid tests. Um, there's one more block, another three day block in homestead. So another couple of cracker barrel meals for me in my future. Um, but this was of the two days that I was either witnessing or participating in, there was no failures. There was no cars stopping on track. There was no confusion of like why things are not working when they were working. Um, there was a ton of laps completed across all four cars and, and obviously both manufacturers. Um, the lap time and the performance, considering we were just there a week prior with the non-hybrid spec, which is the lightest indie car we've had since like 2017 type thing. Um, so it's a very fair comparison. Um, was an acceptable amount slower a lot closer in pace than it had been previously. So a lot of the work that Ilmore and Honda and IndyCar and Impel have done on the unit over the Christmas winter break um, was very well represented. And I think everyone was generally relieved and, and really happy. So that was really cool to be a part of. And I think now I feel very confident and very excited about its debut um, at some point in 2024. So that's, that's pretty exciting stuff. So well done to everyone yeah. involved. And that's not a word that Al Trossi throws around lightly. So he's excited by very few things, just as we established earlier, he's impressed by very few things. So that's awesome. That's good to know. Um, also, he's an, a- <laughs> well, I mean, whatever tomato, tomato. That was, just, uh, that was unrelated but, to anything else. Yeah. No, it was no. Actually repeating really. So then, yeah. So then, the other the, the other the, bit of news that you alluded to, uh, FOM announced that uh, it was denying a commercial deal with Andretti Global for their F1 team. Doesn't seem to be well received publicly. The reasons for it were kind of. I mean, did you read any of the actual like uh, conclusion? I never read documents? articles, but I read the I read the quotes that are, that mattered. Um, Here's right. here's the thing. It, clearly, those quotes are just they're. We've talked about this before. It's insane that a sporting entity, sporting property, allows current teams with selfish interests to decide on the future of a, a new team, a competitor, right? a competitor. Right? We don't need to get into the, the ifs, ands, or buts about that. I I was a, a pretty big skeptic for a long time just because I was involved in that world for a very long time. I know what they think of Americans and all that sort of thing. So I, despite all of everything that was amazing that Michael was doing and continues to do with GM and Cadillac, I was not super optimistic about it. But clearly the quotes are just a, a, a facade of the fact that they don't want to share. And they, yes. are, they are threatened by, in my mind, threatened by what Andretti is going to actually end up bringing to the table, maybe not from a performance standpoint, but from a marketability standpoint, that they don't want to give up. And and that's just BS. 
at the end of yeah. the day. So I think it's it's the commercial it's splitting the commercial stuff, and it's also they really want to get American sponsors, and they're worried if Andretti and GM's there, they're gonna get all the American sponsors. And I would have respected it a lot more if they came out and just said like, "Hey, you know what? The the we the perceived value of F one is higher than when we made the Concord agreement. We don't really feel well, like they already it. tried that argument in the beginning. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, I'm saying I would have respected more than, than the idea. But but just the idea of of well, Andretti doesn't bring the brand recognition. F one will be helping them because you know what brings brand recognition. Visa Cash App RB. That's everybody. Everybody's just sitting there saying, "Oh man, they're with F1 now. That's really going to help Formula One out." So and stake with that argument. The the yeah. other thing that I find frustrating is they're like they're like, oh well, they're not going to be competitive. They need to be competing for podiums and wins to add value. It's like okay, so you expected a new team <laughs> to show up for wins. I was just going to say, you're expecting a new team to show up and compete for wins when two teams have won every race for the last two years. You named the last F1 season that was competitive. 2021. Okay, but that's, we're going down three years? Like, that's ridiculous. Well, no, but aside from that, it was like, that that was an outlier. That was an outlier, yes. Before that, it was probably 2006, realistically. Nah, 2009 was pretty tight, but anyway. I mean, did um, anybody tell Haas that the teams are supposed to be competitive? This is what I'm saying, right? Two teams have won, ra- have won races in the last two years. And th- I know that's not true because Mercedes won one. It's technically three, but it's really two. So then, and then the other thing was like, well, yeah, we'll reconsider in 2028, which is Oh, when the Concord the time- Agreement's done. No, well, the Concord Agreement's done in 26, but the oh, okay. application, the way if I read it correctly, the application was saying that they would use customer engines until 2028, and by 2028, that's when GM would actually be fully producing their own power unit. It's like, oh yeah, if you're bringing a power unit, cool. Uh, so you just can't, you like, we don't want you to use a customer engine. That's not good for the sport. That, you know, like lowers the value of the sport. Six teams on the grid currently use customer engines. So it's yeah. just like... <clears throat> Two teams win races, and more than half the grid uses customer engines. So they're basically saying, well, you can't win right away, and you don't have a, a, a factory-made engine, so you, you're not allowed. It, the reasons just sound kind of far-fetched. To Alex's point, it's probably more just like the original idea was, yeah, we don't, wanna, we don't, want, we don't want them. They don't have a good reason. Yep. They just don't want them. So That is, that is the reason. We'll see what happens with it all. I mean, we literally the day before saw like pictures of the 60% scaled car in the wind tunnel. So like the team has done a tremendous amount of work already on their program. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, Yeah, man. So one last thing just quickly before we depart. There were some interesting guys driving. There's two seats left in IndyCar that have not been named for 24. That's the two Dale Coyne entries. Obviously, Dixon's going to be in one. And then, yeah, if for whatever that. reason, that doesn't, you know, that all falls apart. I've uh, heard that's done. I've heard that's locked in. We, we've known that. for We broke it first. We've known this for months. Yeah. But Jack Harvey was back in a car. And Nolan Siegel, who's an Indy Lights driver, Indy Next, Indy Lights driver, uh, went out there. And I've been very impressed with that kid. I watched him in lights last year, uh, his rookie year. Very, very competitive, very intelligent, very switched on. He was actually racing the 24 as well um, and went very well. He was very competitive. So still two seats to be filled. Two guys drove the car. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. I don't know if you've heard any any scuttlebutt in the paddock, Alex, about what Coin's going to do because, like, 
you know, we're basically into February now. We're going to need some answers on that pretty soon. I, I, I have heard absolutely nothing. I know nothing about what's going on. I know that Dale's probably going to leave it to the last minute and that's going to be very exciting for everyone to follow. But no, I don't, I don't have any inside information. Oh, well, in that case, I'll just, you know, I'll just stop talking about stuff. And you know what? We all should, because this episode's over. But we appreciate you listening. This has been Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Off Track is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. We're at Ask Off Track on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to follow us on Twitter individually, I'm at Hinchtown. He's Alexander Rossi. And if you want to follow Tim, though we have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham on Twitter. Follow us on YouTube and subscribe to our channel for exclusive video content. Off Track is produced by Tim Durham, and by that we mean Tim. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So. No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.